Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode 19 of the Pegasus Podcast presented by Night Sports Now. I am Bailey Adams and I'm joined as always by Christian Simmons. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and go ahead and throw us a follow at Night Sports Now while you're there. Uh, lately on Night Sports Now, Christian has written a say no to rebranding as the Citronauts article that a lot of people I think agreed with and sure some did. people very vehemently disagreed with it and um, I think someone said, imagine being this wrong. And so Christian's uh, I'm, someone I'm glad. also tried to like cancel nights. Like someone replied, oh, I was like, yes, I do think that our mascot should be based on something that would like pillage and burn and kill. I, that had to be a joke, right? I don't know. I, I think it's been tell. bothering me all week that I don't know whether or not that person was kidding. Yeah, I mean, should have, uh-huh. I would argue in the modern age, like hurricanes kill more people than nights. Yeah, I mean, gators yeah. probably do as well. Yeah, but. Um, I don't know. Um, so I guess with some people being upset with you about that article, I'm glad I didn't give out your email on the last podcast. I'm, I wish um, you had after knowing I was going to write that article because <laughs> I had some good conversations with people. Okay. But the important thing to remember is that I'm correct. And uh, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So Christian is always correct, according to him. I've never once been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, tonight, uh, actually recording this a little bit later than we normally do, we're recording this on like later Thursday night. And by later, I mean like 9 o'clock, not like really, really late. But that's because Christian and I went out to the Oviedo stop of the Charge On Tour, and um, a lot was said. We weren't really sure how much would come out of this and how much we'd be able to talk about on the podcast, and it turns out everybody had something to say, and it was just an enjoyable night. So we're kind of going to run through like some of the, the talking points that each of the coaches um, had, and, and especially, um, well not especially, but first it was uh, Alex Cartwright, UCS president, talking, and didn't say too much, but uh, gave like a nice opening to the night and said uh, talking about terry mohajer who he was introducing said that as soon as he interviewed terry he knew he was the right guy and actually shared that uh, mohajer was sick for their first interview but his energy and his enthusiasm still shined through and then he interviewed him a second time and he said it was like a whole complete different person so i can't even imagine like if he was energetic on the first time i mean cartwright was probably like whoa what the heck is going on here when he interviewed him the second time but um a good introduction for for terry mohajer and then mohajer had plenty to say um, starting with the fact that tailgating will be returning in the fall, and that comes on the heels of the uh, announcement that the stadium's going back to full capacity. So, Christian, you excited to see a, a full bounce house this fall? No, I kind of prefer the the quiet 8,000-person crowds with no atmosphere. I think it made it harder on the, on the team, and that's why I think it was better, because it made the team work harder, and they had to earn their victories at home more. Than just relying on the fans. Yeah, I mean, that's why they went two and two at home. <laughs> I literally like. I, I hope everyone realized that was just sarcasm and a joke. Like, I don't want people. I to think. I think they're going to realize it exactly as much as I did with the guy who made the night's tweet. <laughs> but um, I think that like teams like UCF that have a really good home atmosphere, I feel like got hit way harder by the COVID year than teams that don't like you. Like, I'm not trying to like pick at USF. I know we do that anyway. But like, <laughs> but it's honestly true. Like USF didn't. Their home environment was not different. No, That's just what no. it's like. UCF is used to getting hyped up. I mean, we talk about the videos where the doors are shaking as they're about to get out of the locker room. And instead, they just like... I mean, I went to a couple of games. Atmosphere sucked. And you can't blame them. the people. It's when you've got a big stadium that seats 45,000. You had for most games like 8,000, 9,000 people just all spaced out, yeah. out. Which I understand was what we had yeah, at the time. I'm not like, we should have packed the stadium as a deadly virus. Like, whatever. <laughs> but it just... We're it, not Dan Mullen on this podcast. <laughs> 
Never has there been a greater instance of immediate karma than Dan oh Mullen declaring that all stadiums need to be full and then his entire team getting wiped out from that's COVID horrible. Yeah, like just a, horrible. a couple days later. Like, just that's why you don't do that, dude. What a horrible sequence. But, yeah, just knowing tailgating is going to be back, knowing the atmosphere is going to be back to what it was. I mean, that is UCF's big advantage. That's why they won 21 games in a row at home because that crowd literally is that extra man. I mean, the crowd freaking brings it. Boise State, I know Boise State's a big brand. Their stadium is a lot smaller than UCF's. They do not have a very good atmosphere. They got UCF in the last year of full stadiums. UCF got more fans to watch them play an FCS team than Boise State did for their conference championship game. So, I did not know that. Yeah. So Boise State is not ready for this atmosphere, and that's going to be a huge advantage, not just in that game, but in all the home games this year. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wonder, I was thinking about this tonight uh, as Gus Malzahn was talking about uh, just his expectations and talking about the fall. I'm just like wondering, like, I can't wait for him to see the home atmosphere for the first time. Cause, well, he's I mean, seen it once before, or a couple times before when he was with Tulsa. Oh, yeah, that is true. Yeah. But I feel like even even now it's on like a, a new level and... Um, and the fact that he's gonna, it's gonna be backing him and not going against his team. Well, that's funny because when he came out, he asked the crowd, um, "How many of you guys were at the Peach Bowl?" And I guess you could tell it was a dire crowd because there may be what, like 150 people there. Or Probably so. 150 to 200, maybe. It, yeah, it felt like uh, almost every hand was up as yeah. far as who was at the Peach Bowl. And Malzahn just looks at them and looks a little exasperated, it's just like y'all were loud at that <laughs> game. He said that like three times. He yeah. said that he said crowds don't rattle him, but. By the third quarter, that game was getting to him. And he, I mean, you remember we were both of that game. That crowd was nuts. Yeah, no, and it was it was crazy, especially in a stadium that big for it to be, you know, that large, uh, such a large portion of UCF fans there, and still able. I know obviously there was a good deal of Auburn fans there, but just still able to kind of just take over the stadium in a huge, massive stadium like that is pretty crazy. You could tell Auburn fans didn't know what they were in for because in the pregame for that game when they were doing all the graphics on the screen, I remember they were running through the result of each game and mm. Auburn went first and the Auburn fans were like happily clapping for all their wins and they got to them losing to Georgia in the SEC Championship and the UCF section just explodes <laughs> with joy. And then I literally remember because I was sitting like, I was in one of the end zones so it was kind of on the edge yeah, of the Auburn. The opposite end zone for me. <laughs> the opposite for you. We waved to each other. Um, I... Literally, and I'm not joking, then UCFs, because, you know, Auburn fans going to that game were just like, we're going to beat up on UCF, you know, because this is some school. They're probably not even UCF. We're going to beat up on this random school. Central Florida. And Central Florida. The Central Florida Golden Knights are not going to win today. And they start putting up. And they, God. They start putting up UCF scores after Auburn's for other games, and like all of them are just these massive blots, like 70 point games, 60 point games. And all these Auburn fans are starting to look at each other. I'm literally looking at them leaning, but like, whoa, did you see that scoring? <laughs> like, right before the game started, they realized, like, oh, wait, this yeah. team might be good. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it was it was just kind of funny to see him hear Gus ask, you know, who all was there, and just to see as many hands pop up as they did. Um, we kind of want to go back to Mahajer a little bit, and he. I mean, he, that guy, just the energy that he brings oh my, is, like, yeah. insane. We mentioned a little bit earlier about how, you know, Cartwright said his energy shined through even when he was sick. But, yeah, I mean, he, he came out there and he was just riling up the crowd and, and just talking up UCF like, you know, like he always does. And, and he had a quote. He said um, he brought up the spring coaches when intro- introducing all the coaches of UCF spring sports, which included, you know, the ones that played in the spring this year. It's basically like, yeah, every yeah. UCF sport. Um, pretty much. And, you know, he was running off their accomplishments like the, the conference championships, the NCAA tournament appearances, and the Sweet 16s. And he said, there are some schools that couldn't do that in 10 years, and we did it in one semester. Um, and so he was talking about that, and he said, um, he did say, your achievements of today set your expectations for tomorrow. And that sounds like, um, you know, one of the, uh, probably a rally, rallying cry that he's probably trying to, to preach to his coaches and, you know, his staff and everything. And really just had a lot of really, really good things to say, obviously, about UCF. Um, and then he was he was sure to point out about um, I remember exactly what it was, but he said something about 
guaranteeing that all of the the student athletes are going to get was a place in grad programs or jobs like yeah one he, or the said, other. he said when you're done he said it was it's his whole that he had at arkansas state to the nli till you die thing which about taking care of student athletes and part of that was he says that when you're done with your bachelor's degree they will guarantee you job placement or a spot in a grad program and I, I've talked about this a lot. This is, and it was, and I'm really happy Mahadra's there to push that because it was my really my one only major reservation with getting a former SEC coach. Is 99.99% of athletes in all sports, football, basketball, all of them, are not. This is it for them yeah. as far as sports. And and there are a lot of schools that frankly don't care what happens to them next. They've <laughs> filled their role, move on. And I like that Mahadra's committed. And it's not just talk because he did at Arkansas State that. If you are a knight, you're a knight for life, and we're going to do everything we can not just to help you while you're on our team and while you're helping us. We're going to help you all the way through your life. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it was funny um, just to hear him talk about that. And he even said, he said, Harvard is Harvard not because of the students there now, but it's what they do after. And I think that's you know, speaks a lot to w- what he envisions for UCF student-athletes and not only what they're going to do you know, while they're on campus, but what they're going to go on to do after they graduate. Um, obviously, a, a huge point of emphasis for him. And then I can't, I didn't get the quote, but he went on to quote uh, Master Shifu from Kung Fu Panda. And I, I was like, I, what, I was like what is he talking? He's like, he goes, how many people have seen Kung Fu Panda? And I was like, I have. Well, yeah, where, I'm like, where, like, like, where are you going with there this? There are a lot of like sort of questionable yeah. hand raises. Like, where is this one going? But it was actually a very good quote. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was deep. I don't remember what it was. So it was, was but... if you only do what you can do, you will never be more than you are now. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, I mean, it's it was applicable. It was like it was actually really deep, and I was like, as soon as he said like, "Who's seen Kung Fu Panda?" I was like, "Did he just forget where he but is?" But only like, Terry Mahajer yeah. could be like, "Who's seen Kung Fu Panda?" Yeah. And then like turn it into this like, <laughs> it, I I even tweeted it. He is so energetic. Like if he sat me down and was like, "Here's why you should buy USF season tickets," I'd probably walk out of there with USF season tickets. That I just hey, be careful. I mean, My parents almost bought USF season tickets because they are alums, to be fair. But well, I mean. I guess they're they're stuck with it, unfortunately. <laughs> but he, I mean, literally, it's just like he just he just radiates energy. He like does. He, you know, he's such a cool guy. He is, and that's the thing is, I think coming uh, in in past months, we've talked about just the, the energy he's brought and how excited we are, like from his his press conferences and just everything about him so far. But to see him in person, I think it was probably the first time I've seen him in, speak in person. I can't imagine there was another time. Um, but just to see him in person and you know to have a crowd in front of him. Seemed like he was playing to the crowd a lot and just really excited to get in front of UCF fans. Well, and... you think for him and Malzahn, this charge on tour has been the first time that yeah. they've seen, other than like the spring game, I guess. Yeah, this has been the first time true. that they've seen UCF. But fans the fact they were able to speak to like uh, yeah. a group of fans, and, and even just now, like I like I we didn't. I mean, it was it just felt normal. There wasn't there. I mean, since yeah. the COVID compliance stuff is largely behind us, because even back in the spring a couple months ago, it was still very much like keep your distance from people. Yeah. You know, and that wasn't so much a thing. It just felt normal. They to did me. have that touchdown club thing a couple weeks ago, right? Or yeah, but isn't that for like the rich folks? Well, yeah, I'm just yeah, yeah, I guess. And the rich folks still count as UCF fans. I know they count for like ten times. Yeah, I mean they do. Yeah, so I'm just but, saying, like, uh, no, I just meant from like a general. Yeah. you know, I, I mean, yeah, obviously they've been speaking to uh, shareholder society. And yeah, all that, type that of is stuff, true. But yeah, but yeah, it was just it was just cool to kind of see his just his uh, personality in person and get you know see what uh, he had to say, but. Um, from there, Mahajer introduced, like, a lot, like I said, a lot of the spring coaches, and um, Todd Dagenet spoke first and, and spoke, you know, glowingly about uh, UCF volleyball season, um, going undefeated in the conference, winning the conference championship. And then he kind of uh, introduced a topic of, like, the success in the classroom that his team has had and, you know, UCF as an athletics program has had, um, you know, for a long time running now. And he kind of mentioned how, 
you know, he, he mentioned his team's GPA, and I think it was women's golf had their their GPA was higher, um, and they basically just turned into a competition between the teams. So, I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff, like we mentioned with, um, you know, UCF really caring about the student-athletes and what they – what they do after, not just uh, what can you do for us on the field or on the court. Um, so good to hear from Todd Dagenet. And then I think Tiffany Roberts, the Haydad. Which I just have to say really quickly yeah. on that. That's always been, that's been a thing for a long time, pretty much ever since, um, I don't know if he's the one who set the tone, but ever since O'Leary became coach, that UCF schools have had a really high GPA. Um, or UCF programs, not UCF yeah. schools. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, I, sometimes people think that's, yeah, whatever. I just want to shout back to, um, it was a couple years ago now, when Texas football tweeted to brag about their 2.8 team uh. GPA, like that—that's the bar that other schools are setting. And the fact that UCF legitimately—I I mean, they take the term student athlete to heart. I mean, they're setting up these kids for future success, not just if they make it. If they're their point one percent makes it to pros. So I—I I know it's kind of a thing that we're like, oh, that's a nice additional thing. But that's been a thing at UCF for a long time, and that's really, really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And um, you know, as they went down the line of coaches, we heard from um, Emily. Emily Marone from uh, Women's Golf, and we heard from you know the tennis coaches. But Tiffany Roberts Haydack is one that um, she kind of got this started. And I don't know, maybe it was the plan all along, but she started kind of just talking about past years. You know, they beat. Um, oh, going back, there I was. I was it probably I think it was Marone from Women's Golf who mentioned first that they beat the Florida Gators, and that got everybody to cheer. And that just started a, a line of every team that every UCF coach whose team played Florida this year and beat them. They're like, oh yeah, we also beat Florida, and it just turned into like a big like. Yeah, for those of you who, on the for anyone listening who was not there, like it, it didn't seem rehearsed, but literally the coaching panel of all the coaches quickly turned into let's all compare our accomplishments against Florida this year, <laughs> which I guess Florida's our rival now. There was even one point where Mahadra mentioned, oh, our rival that's two hours away, and I was like, ah, oh, USF, and by the end of it, I'm like, did he mean Florida? <laughs> like, I can't, I can't imagine that's actually what he meant, but yeah, it's so uh, it was funny. Marone introduced that and. Uh, Coach Robert Sahadak from women's soccer said, you know, we had a, a whole a whole schedule of just conference games, so we didn't get a chance to beat them. But then she said that they're going to get the Gators this fall, which seemed to hint that they'll be playing Florida in a non-conference matchup this fall. But then she explicitly said they have uh, North Carolina, who came back in 2016 uh, to Orlando. UCF beat them then. I think they ranked number four at the time. That's her former school. And they also have Penn State coming to UCF this fall. So... Two big non-conference games for yeah. women's soccer, and that kind of just started. Like from there, it seemed like m- most coaches were kind of just like throwing out some some non-conference matchups that they have coming up. Um, UNC went uh, and women's soccer went eighteen and two this year. And it was a Final Four team, so that's wow. a big that's a big one. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I imagine they'll come in top ten. I have to say, men's soccer coach Scott Calabrese had my favorite comment on the fl- <laughs> on the Florida because he said that he said, you know, uh, you know, uh, Florida doesn't have a men's soccer team, so I didn't have, so I didn't have that opportunity. But if they did, we'd beat them. <laughs> just just throwing that out there. Everybody everybody loved that one, um, and yeah, it was it was great, but. Um, you know, it, like I said, it's just, it was just weird. Every coach from then on was like, oh, yeah, we, we beat Florida. And then uh, Cindy Ball Malone, Coach Bear from uh, UCF Softball, who just came off of a great season, Heck of a season, talked about how like special their season was and historic it was. But then she gave her own uh, little dunk on Florida and said, you know, they, they walked them off at home and then told a story that I don't I don't know if everybody, anybody knew about this. I had never heard this story. Um, but when they went to go play Florida in Gainesville in the return game, their bus broke down on the way and Florida sent like a Gators bus to take them the rest of the way to Gainesville. And then UCF went on to win seven, nothing. 
And Coach Bear seemed very uh, satisfied. She seemed very content yeah. with telling she that was, story. She was satisfied with uh, with what they were able to do. It, it seemed like they took a little bit of uh, a little bit of umbrage with Florida sending the Gators bus, which I guess that's probably all they could have done. But um, I but the way she said it, just yeah. her tone was so. She's like, so you know, we we went to their stadium in a Gators bus, and then we went in their stadium and beat them seven yeah. 0 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Florida, I mean, every year is a, a contender in, in college softball. So for UCF to sweep them this year, especially winning the second one seven nothing. Um, yeah, we haven't really. Is this our first podcast? Yeah, this is our first podcast in the softball season ended. Yes, we're gonna do a podcast later in the summer, breaking down or ranking how all of the seasons went for these teams. So we'll get into them, but heck of a year for softball. I mean, they're it, they, they've always been a strong program for UCF, even how young they are, and just uh, Coach Bear continuing that has been yeah awesome. And it was funny just because like I saw like beforehand walking around, kind of saw some of the coaches that were there, and I had seen some coaches that had tweeted they were gonna be here, but I didn't. I hadn't seen that she was gonna be there. Yeah, so, like I all the coaches walked out. I was like. We were pretty far back, and I was like, oh, I think that's Coach Bear. And then she came to talk, and I was like, yeah. Um, so, I mean, fresh off of uh, Sunday's regional final, uh, she was there to talk to the fans. But good to hear from her. And then after they kind of had uh, they had the women's tennis coach, Brian Conieco, and the men's tennis coach, John Roddick, who John Roddick, I think, had another – one of my favorite lines of the night where, you know, all these coaches are talking about how they beat Florida. Calabrese said they would have beaten Florida if they had a men's uh, soccer team. And then Roddick said, well, my team didn't beat Florida. So um, hearing all of them talk about this, my self-esteem is pretty low right now. <laughs> um, but then he did get the flex and say, I think his nephew is like the number one rated tennis player and he's coming to UCF or something like that. He said something about... Yeah, he had a comment. Yeah. But he seemed legitimately deflated. Yeah. Because <laughs> like I said, apparently we're rivals with Florida now. Yeah, that's... Uh, which might take that's away how from, we're measuring our success now. My takeaway from this is, all right, we got to get him in a football game now. Yeah. So let's make that happen. But At least basketball or something. I mean, it seemed, it seemed, it seemed a little bit easier to do that. I mean, we got Florida State, but I don't know why we can't cross yeah. over and... And get Florida eventually. But speaking of basketball, they had all the they had all the spring coaches exit the stage, and um, they brought out Coach Abe and Coach Dawkins to talk some basketball. And um, a weird start that Coach Abe was just like, "Oh, good to see everybody out here in Oviedo." And then she was like, oh, "Coach Dawkins lives in Oviedo," and she's like, well, "I'm I'm told I'm told I'm not supposed to tell everybody where he lives." And I was like, what? "She was she was poking fun at Dawkins a lot because yeah. it was that." And then later she was like. And you know, uh, we're trying to get a we're trying to get Stanford on the schedule and like yeah. leans in it. Which for those you know, that's where Johnny Dawkins coached at before UCF. And yeah, I love Coach Abe so much. Yeah, I, she is just. And we were talking about while we were there. I don't totally understand why she's still here, because I don't want to question it too much. I mean, she took uh, UCF women's basketball was a garbage. Program. Weren't they like nine and thirty? Or not nine and thirty? They were like nine. They and were like I, they were like nine and twenty three. Yeah, so, for a couple years, like they yeah. were just. Awful. I mean, because I mean, so Joy bad. Williams had like some successful seasons, but then it just early went on, yeah, and then, then it went downhill to a point where they were like winning single digit games every year, and then all of a sudden, Coach Abe comes in, and they're an NCAA tournament team every year. Literally, they the last couple years under Joy Williams. They went ten and twenty, nine and twenty one, and seven and twenty three. Yeah, that's the that's the record I was thinking. Of. Then eight, seven and twenty three. Then Abe took over year one. They went twenty one and twelve and went to the WNIT second round. And it just it was off to the races from there. They have had two NCAA tournament appearances. They probably would have had three if not for COVID canceling. And they've the won tournament. twenty games in every year, right? Except for this year, which maybe. doesn't count because they missed a bunch of you know. Yeah, they I'm lost saying, a bunch like this of year, the only like only having the shortened season cost them winning twenty games because I think they would have. I mean, I don't remember what their record was, but they were probably how many games did they play. I, I can't I imagine they were that far off of twenty even in the games that they played. Yeah, I could have looked it up actually because um, I, I had the thing. But either way, <laughs> it's just the, I mean I. I, I don't know. She could have she could get a lot of jobs right now if she wanted to. Oh, they had twenty games this year. They went twenty and nine. Oh, oh, because from the tournaments, I guess the conference tournament. Yeah. Okay. So well, yeah, twenty game, twenty wins again, and despite having a shortened season, but 
Yeah, so um, she... What? Nothing. Oh. I was, said, um. I was just, just going to reaffirm, I don't know why she's still here, because, oh. but she must just really... And she was and she was clearly so hyped up for next season, because they've yeah. got their whole starting lineup returning. She said they have the whole starting lineup returning, and then I think she said like they add like three transfers, so like they yeah. just have a deep team, and she even said they were going to be loaded. She said, I hope I don't mess it up. And that's when she said, um, and I think part of it was a joke, like, saying like all of her coaching comes from what Johnny Dawkins does, but she said that she does, she goes and watches... Uh, the men's basketball team practice and learns from from Coach Dawkins. So just I don't know that peek into like collaboration between the two um, was pretty. They were cool. a very fun duo. Yeah, together. and then so they were they were kind of like joking around with each other, and that's why Christian and I were talking about it. And I tweeted it that we kind of want a buddy cop show between those two because I feel like Coach Abe is very intimidating sometimes, and Dawkins always just seems to be like the like ah oh, just having fun like the soft more soft spoken. So to have like you can do a good uh, good cop bad cop thing with them and. Just they were just the way they were like re- inter- interacting with each other was just funny, um, and so she said, um, yeah, she said she goes and watches Dawkins practices to learn from him, and basically says um, after games if they win, basically thanks to Dawkins um, for you know that's that's why they won and stuff. But yeah, and then, and she talked- I need to correct myself really quickly. Okay, um, they did not go twenty and nine. Oh, that was last season. Oh, because okay, I'm looking at this and like they did not play 29 games. I know they went 16 and five this year. Okay, but still, I mean, if you ha- if you add in uh, like a full season, that, they're winning 20 games easily. Even just in a regular, even just like by winning percentage for just a regular season, that's 23 wins. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Sorry, I just had to throw it in there. So no, yeah, that makes sense. Hey, I didn't know it was like 29 games. Yeah, because I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, there's no way they got 29 games then. But yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but yeah, she and then she mentioned about the NCAA tournament this year because it was a big story back then about how. You know the NCAA and just had set up just the worst workout setup for oh for the women's God. teams and had and like I got I got to like say the, the, I, I got to go on a little bit of a mini rant here really yeah. quickly because a lot there it was horrible the tournament setup was trash and a lot of people like to come out and they were like well the men's tournament is the one that makes the money so it doesn't matter first off it, it's fine if you're sexist that's your business just don't put it on Twitter <laughs> um, and second there have been so many studies done in research that shows that women's sports could easily be as popular as men's sports if the resources are put into it women's sports are fun to watch but it's just like organizations like the NCAA they just don't even care to try so yeah. that was what was so frustrating about that and I really really liked that Coach A brought that up there and she straight did. up she said it up about said, empowerment like, for women and how important yeah. that experience was for she them. brought it up and said like everything we heard and saw was true Like, uh, and I think just for some people to hear that was like probably yeah. a, good, a good thing and she said that it was she liked that her, her players got to experience that and experience you know young women like stepping up for themselves and standing up for themselves and, and causing change so he, she, she did mention that and I did yeah I liked that like it, it was like a kind of a random thing to bring up, but I'm glad she did. I'm glad she did because like it was like it also reinforced how big off the court and off the field stuff is stuff is for these programs. We yeah. talked about it with their GPAs, but I mean that that was like her focal point thing from this past season. It wasn't going to the conference or almost winning the conference, going to the NCAA tournament. It was this experience they had and seeing how they could make change. Yeah, and also I do want to bring up um, as Mohajer was Mohajer. Yeah, as Mohajer was introducing all the spring sports and like listed the the conference championships and he said including women's mm. basketball i was like wait what i was like women's basketball didn't win the conference and both christian and i kind of forgot that like the regular season was just somehow you know conveniently i don't know I don't, it just it was such a weird thing with the the forfeit that like it was memphis USF, and usf didn't play yeah and then usf got a win because of a forfeit because right? of covid they didn't play and every single other time that happened for every other team as far as i know in the country it was just a cancellation. It was just a cancellation. And for some reason, that was counted as a forfeit win for USF, which gave them the edge over UCF for the regular season conference title. Yeah. Makes no freaking sense. But I like that we'd sort of just forgotten about it, but yeah. clearly that's not something they forgot no, about. No, yeah. And I like that they're they kind of just hanging on to that because I'm sure that's going to be something that they 
they do talk about when they go into to play USF next year. Oh yeah. Um, but she she also brought up some um, some scheduling news, um, and basically said like nobody wants to play us, which is eerily similar to what it seems like in football a lot of the time. Yep. But um, yeah, I mean UCS gotten to a point in women's basketball where I'm sure teams like bigger teams don't want to play them because they don't want to lose, like she said. But she did say that uh, in the SEC AAC Challenge uh, this year, they'll be playing Arkansas, and they'll be at home. And then she also said that Iowa and Virginia are on the schedule and that Stanford is calling. That's why she nudged Johnny Dawkins a little bit. But she asked the crowd because Stanford, uh, they just won the national championship, right? Yep. So she said that, and she was like, I don't know, should we play Stanford? And everyone was like, yes. And I was kind of like, I don't know. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I was trying to think, and I was like, I don't know, would, it, would it help us? But no, they um, can beat Stanford. Stanford. I, well, we're not going to get to a women's basketball <laughs> discussion right now. But. but yeah, it was just uh, so they've got some some good games on the schedule, and uh, men's basketball does as well. We'll get onto that in a second. But I, I just going back to the the Dawkins Abe dynamic. Um, Dawkins before he even said anything about his own team, basically just said that uh, about Coach Abe that she's one of the best coaches he's ever been around. Been around like just men's women's whatever he said just she can coach and i think that just kind of reinforces our you know our confidence and our feelings towards what coach abe has done for the women's basketball program um and just speaks to the, the caliber of a coach that she is and like i said we said earlier like i hope she never leaves like i don't want her to ever you know to to up and leave and I, I don't know that there's a reason to like i feel like it seems like she likes it here and i mean i don't want to go on this for too long but you know they're in a good spot with potentially challenging for the conference every year, year in and year out, now that UConn's gone. Uh, listen, now that UConn's gone, sky's the limit for that program. Yeah. It's, it's very much a then We talked about that a little conference. bit, I think, back I, when we, yeah, the season I was mean, still going on. They're one of those teams where as long as um, Abe stays, I mean, I really think you need to watch that as a team. I, I, I They could become a year-in-year-out dynasty. I really think the sky's the limit for them. I'm talking about, like, deep run NCAA tournament runs I think they could even be a national champion down the road I really true, truly believe that if Abe stays I, they're, yeah. they're I mean even just with the, the style of play they just play some suffocating defense and yeah teams just, that's part of the reason I don't think she also wanted to say is they don't just not want to play them because they're good they're tough to play it's yeah. not it's not like you see a football where well you might lose but you know it's it's fun style football it's the football that you want to go against like yeah. their basketball is suffocating and just gritty just and frustrating because sure. yeah, yeah it's just it frustrates them <laughs> UConn's coach talked about that a lot when they yeah. when they shared a conference he did he did and I mean we got back to, to women's basketball there but yeah Dawkins <laughs> Dawkins kind of went uh recap their own season a little bit and said two years removed from the NCAA tournament obviously the goal is to get back there and he said they're ready to get back there um, and you know, mentioned some of the guys they have coming back, but he also kind of looked back at this season, and said, and what we kind of he confirmed what we all believed and what we all thought that the stoppages really just made this season very difficult because they did early on in the season beat Auburn, they beat Florida State on the road to snap their 27 game winning uh, home winning streak. Um, so they beat Cincinnati, I think he said, and he said yeah. then they had to they had to stop practicing because of COVID. And that's and why I got so frustrated really with UCS fan base because. Yeah, I, I don't think you understand. Like, basketball, you have to practice. And they, they straight up didn't practice for two weeks at one point. So disjointed, start, stop, start, stop. I mean, they were a very good team this year, and they showed that before COVID. And fans got started this whole thing of like, oh, Dawkins is on the hot seat. Why aren't we getting better? It, it, and it just did. It never made sense. No one ever had a real reason. It, it was just, listen, guys, more than any other UCF team, 
COVID just stole a really good season for men's basketball. That's all there is to it. And it's, it was funny to me just because the, the comeback that was, oh, COVID was a thing for everyone. I, not to the degree that it was no, for that, stopping that was two so weeks of practice. No, because I literally gotten so many Twitter, Twitter arguments with people who that would What's be their... New? that would, I know. <laughs> what else do I do with my time? That would be their take is like, every team dealt with COVID. It's like, first off, that's you know that's not true as you're saying that. You know that teams were affected <laughs> in different ways. Some teams played full schedule, some different. Second, it, it wasn't like... They just, oh, we had to deal with, like, protocols and stuff. They were shut down multiple times throughout the year. Yeah. And you just can't – I mean, basketball is such a sport of consistency and inconsistency. You can't deal with that. Yeah. And the fact that not only did they still manage to almost get to 500 and go on this 5-1 and one stretch to end the year, that's crazy impressive. I mean, Dawkins is just – he's like he's a wizard as a coach. He's taken some teams – he did it with the year prior to that really should not have been good and forced them to be good. And then you have – portion of the fans they're like why aren't we in the NCAA well, tournament the one year that they were expected to be really good and then Aubrey went down before the season started BJ went down I think in the first game Taco, Taco missed a ton of time they still had a pretty pretty good year that, that year that was 17-18 and they yeah. went and they went 19 and 13 that year yeah missing most of their starting lineup for most of the year yeah I mean what he's done I, I think like yeah, he's, he's, he's an just, amazing he's yeah. an amazing coach another another great coach at UCF and that was kind of the theme of the night that I took away was just that UCF has a lot of really really good coaches that they really need to hang on to and really need to make sure they don't go anywhere but Dawkins went on to talk about um, some of their schedule for this season. Some of these we knew about already, like the, the home game against Michigan. I'm not sure if we knew about the Oklahoma home game. We might have. I mean, they've played them in the past. They were supposed right? to so, play at Oklahoma this past year. Okay, so maybe that's what it was. And then he mentioned away games against Miami and Auburn. And, of course, they have Florida State and the Orange Bowl Classic. And then he said that Florida State's coming to Orlando next year, didn't he? Yeah, he did say yeah. that. Yeah. Which, so that's exciting. That's Yeah, that is exciting. That's pretty big. Um, and then as he was, like, kind of just hyping up the – the upcoming season was saying, you know, from what he's been told, of course, me, I don't think coaches pay too much attention to this all the time, but he said um, he's been told that the, this is the class, the recruiting class coming in to UCF this fall or this year is the number one recruiting class in program history. So, and, I, and Christian looked ahead a little bit to the 2022 recruiting class, and right now that one's looking pretty dang good as well. Right now on 247, UCF's 2022 basketball class is 20th in the nation. That's just, that's unreal. Which I'm not saying that'll hold, but you also got to remember that would, first off, that'd be absurdly impressive for football where there's yeah. 130 teams. I think there's what, like 350 yeah. basketball teams? That's insane. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, 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 and, you know, I think this past year they're in the, they're in the like the mid 80s, which is also really impressive. So they're, yeah. they were getting good guys. I mean, like I said, I, it, it sucks because this year could have been a really good year if not for COVID. I think people should really keep their eyes on the basketball team this coming year. I think so. I, 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 I think, think obviously women's is going to have everybody back and men's oh, yeah. has a great deal of, of their talent back. So I think it'll be an exciting, you know, fall, winter, spring uh, for for men's and women's basketball. We really don't have – are there any – and we're getting a little off topic, so I'll just real quick. That's fine. Are, are there, <laughs> what, else, what else is new? Um, are there any, like, UCF sports teams that we're expecting to not be good next year? I don't think so. I can't think of any. I can't because like, I mean, without like looking at the roster, yeah, who's coming I mean, back? Like, I just wouldn't expect. I wouldn't expect women's soccer to still like stay down. That this felt year. more like, yeah, I yeah. don't know what that was about. And it, from what from what Coach Roberts, the Haydack, was saying, it made it, she made it seem like you know they're yeah they're she didn't seem concerned at all. Yeah, so. no, she didn't, and talked about you know playing UNC at home and wanting to beat them again. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's any right now that I'm like oh, I'm worried about this program and the direction that it's going in. Um, and There's maybe one, but we'll talk about that on a later podcast because you and I disagree on we, it. We disagree heavily on that, but I guess we can get onto it maybe later or maybe on a different podcast. Um, finally, in the in the main, I guess the main event of the evening, it was uh, Gus Malzahn who came out. We talked a little bit about what he had to say earlier, but 
he kind of goes. He actually, I think, it was Mohajer. Did Mohajer introduce him? I think yeah. he did. Yeah. Mohajer introduced him and basically told the story of, of hiring um, Malzahn. He said, like, I guess as he was getting the job or as he was interviewing for the job for uh, the UCF job, he called Malzahn and said, hey, like, if I get this job, like, start thinking about this. And Malzahn had said, uh, he talked to his wife and they were like, oh, we're going to jump at this chance when, when, when it comes up. And then Mohajer gets hired. Obviously, Malzahn sees that he got hired. Then he gets a phone call from, from Mohajer. And just expecting to get the the offer, to get the job offered to him, and Mohajer was like, "Well, no, we're gonna we gotta interview you." And <laughs> Malzahn said, "He said I he said interview. He said I haven't interviewed for a job since high school, which just made me really wonder like how a lot of questions about some of his former yeah, coaching like, stops and how he got those like, jobs. Well, how did he get there? Like, someone just like pick him up and was like, oh, yeah, you're you're good. Just we don't even have to interview you.' I don't know. It's possible. I just want to know. Like I wish someone would have been able to like follow up on that and be like." How did you get your other jobs? Like, what, like <laughs> is that even a thing that you could do? You can get this far in, in your career and not have interviewed. I want to try for a position, now. but yeah, it's kind of well, like I've already failed. It sounds like a challenge. I got, I got yeah. interviewed for my current job, but I'll, maybe maybe going forward, this that yeah. was the one. It interview sounds like a challenge, said. but it was also funny that Mohajer said and, and Malzahn uh, backed them up on this that they couldn't get the Zoom or Gus couldn't get the Zoom link to work. He could not figure out Zoom, <laughs> and Gus even said he's like, I'm not good with technology. So his wife Christy. Uh, helped him, helped him with the Zoom link, helped get that up and running. So I think Mahajir straight up said, "Yeah, I don't know if he would have gotten yeah. the job if he didn't get that Zoom link working." So there's, yeah, a, so there's there's a hypothetical we'll be talking about. Go ahead, years. yeah, go ahead and thank Christy Melzon for for Gus Melzon being the head coach at UCF, and also shout out to Gus and Christy. Gus said that their thirty uh, third wedding anniversary is tom- tomorrow, well, Friday, as you're listening or to as you're yeah. listening to it now. Go wish Gus Melzon and Christy Melzon, yeah, happy, happy wedding anniversary, thirty three years, and he even said. You know, he, he told everybody to, to clap for, for his wife because she's put up with uh, being a, a football coach's wife for 33 years. Um, but from there, it was uh, it was just Malzahn being Malzahn and really just entertaining everyone. Mike um, Christian mentioned earlier, he, he had everybody raise their hand for who was at uh, the Peach Bowl, told everybody how loud they were and just how much he was looking forward to, to having that atmosphere. Um, and they kind of... He kind of reaffirmed what he said before that if, if the right guy got to UCF and stayed there, they'd be dangerous. And I kind of took note of that just because he keeps driving that home. Like he, I know you keep saying like I think he believes right now that he's going to be here for a very long time, and that could change if other jobs pop up. But it still seems like he's very happy with what he's seen from UCF so far and what the the potential that. Yeah, the, the message has. hasn't changed. He hasn't backed yeah. down on any of his statements so far. Which I guess we wouldn't expect it to change publicly, but even still, like. To hear him well, keep... still, you're setting expectations for yourself. Yeah. So, it may, if he'd come in and not liked what he saw, he might not still be announcing UCF's the future <laughs> of college football yeah. every chance he gets. So. Yeah, I mean, he even said too. I think that um, once once he got here, everything he thought about UCF was basically confirmed, um, and said that you know, which talk... I don't think is. I'm gonna be honest. I don't think, don't think that's, that's true. I don't think that's fully. I don't think that's totally honest. What it, are you thinking? He's. Um, I mean, we've heard things that. They were, he's been surprised by how difficult it is to schedule teams. I mean, yeah, I guess. There's but... been some stuff floating around that Mahajer was surprised by the state of the facilities. So I don't think that's I don't think that's totally. Ah, but it sounded good. It sounded good. Though, it sounded so... great. So let's just not even question it. Um, I just wasn't questioning much tonight. I think Mahajer a couple of Mahajer was like, oh yeah, give him a standing ovation, and everybody stood up, and I stood up, and I was like, I think I was just like listening to anything he tells me to do, like. <laughs> Well, like, we, I mean, that's the point of the charge on tours. It's to yeah, hype up the fans. That is true. It accomplished that. Yeah, and we were hyped up. At I it. think the like worst takeaway from all this is that like I'm really, really excited for everything that's coming up for UCF sports. 
uh, both in the fall and spring, but now we have to wait a whole summer and go without you. Yeah, that's the part us. that's not so fun. That's that's not great. What but, can we do? Um, you know, kind of wrapping up with, with what Gus had to talk about, um, said that when he got to UCF, he met with every player for 15 minutes and was really focused early on about establishing those relationships um, because obviously, you know, with Hypo leaving and, you know, they're without a coach for was it three weeks, he's coming in now and he's having to really quickly get on the know, hiring a coaching staff, getting on the recruiting trail, but also making sure that he could start to develop those relationships with his current players. And he said he was really happy with how things went um, in the spring. Um, you know, he said no one went into the portal, obviously, during the, um, he said those, those three weeks that, you know, UCF didn't have a head coach, no one decided to leave. And he said that showed how, you know, how tight the team is. Obviously, there's been some guys that have entered the portal more recently, but. Which happens. Yeah, I mean, it, it does happen. But he, he even said, that, you know, this summer they do, do need to get stronger and faster and that he's saying how big of a summer this is going to be before um, his players can get back in the facility and, uh, you know, when they can have contact again once fall practice begins. Um, and then to kind of wrap up, you know, everybody was, um, you know, we've been excited for the last couple of weeks just because we keep seeing these big-name recruits that are visiting UCF in June. And this, to me, was like one of the things that stood out to me about just how different um, of a, an approach UCF and Gus Malzahn are having, um, you know, I think overall, but also when it comes to recruiting because – We've been seeing that that um, that one. I think it's the second weekend in June. It might be. Yep. Um, that you know that's that's when a lot of the bigger names are coming, and he's he names even, that have never set foot on UCF's camp. Yeah. Like this, there are some big time recruits coming. And even yeah, UCF. even before that, he said you know with the the dead period ending in June, you know, he's saying June first through the twenty sixth is going to be like the most crucial twenty six days in college football in the last few years because you know they haven't been able to have recruits on campus for a year and a half now. Um, so that's obviously a big a big time for them. But also he said that weekend, June 11th through the 13th, uh, they're calling it Bounce House Weekend. And he said it's not like the same as any other like recruiting weekend where they come in, they talk to the coaches, give them a tour of the facilities, and you know, they kind of send them on their way, take the jersey picture. It's, he said they're going to have these recruits and they're going to um, divide them up in teams for some competition type of stuff. And the coaches are going to have their, you know, their wives and kids there to kind of allow the recruits to get to know them as people and not not just coaches um and just basically said that a lot of it's just going to be focused on bonding which i've never heard of anything like this i have neither that's an interesting strategy because i also i mean it, i mean tip, i mean no, it differs by schools but typically a recruiting pitch is first off it's solo or one-on-one and it's like here's our facilities yeah we're going to push you in the NFL, blah, 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 blah. But this whole idea of trying to get the different recruits to bond with each other in an age when the recruits know each other anyway and trying to give them just some good memories and a fun weekend, I I don't know. If I, I like it, Listen, at the end of the day, if it's that versus Nick Saban saying go play in the NFL, it's still probably Nick Saban in the NFL. But yeah. it's a really unique strategy, and I think that it could pay off because it can also give you that chain effect of if you just – because then you just need to get one guy. Yeah. If one guy's convinced and he talks to some other guys he got to know here – that he's already friends with and they start thinking about it. I mean, you could have a little chain reaction thing going. I think it's a, for where UCF is at and what the family culture they've had before and want to rebuild, that's a great strategy. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I think I'm viewing a lot of stuff these days through this lens because we've talked about it a lot, just the the transfer portal and how huge that's going to be. Just kind of imagine like just planting that seed and like having, oh, like these guys are going to have a really fun weekend. This is what the vibe is like here in Orlando at UCF's program. Um, and obviously, you know, if it'll help if UCF successful, but maybe some of these guys do go to other schools and then, you know, if they're not happy there, they decide to go to the transfer portal and they remember, Hey, like that time at UCF, like I got to know some guys, I have to know some coaches there that are really good people. And I, it's a place to, it's a good place to be. And so listen, back. whether 
Malzahn wants to admit it or not, that's what they're doing, what you just described. Yeah. I, I think that he knows, I, and I don't think it's even like a subconscious thing, I think they recognize that UCF isn't going to magically start getting five stars in recruiting classes, but as your transfer class becomes more and more important, that, I think, is their goal, is you're going to have these guys who are from Orlando, are from Central Florida, and they're going to go off to Alabama or wherever, and if a year from now they're not playing or they miss home or it's not working out, that's how SMU just built these last couple of years. Yeah. Like exactly this. And what they're going to look at is the coaches they made relationships with UCF, the fun weekend they had, the players they made relationships with, the family atmosphere. And UCF's going to be their first choice of your secondary destination. Secondary destination is about to be everything going forward. Yeah. So, And I think that that's the real plan. And, of course, you don't say that publicly. Of course. Malzahn's yeah. not going to grab a microphone and be like, we don't plan to get any five stars in this yeah. class, but in a year, watch out. But I think that is what he's doing, and I think that's brilliant. So yeah. we'll see, but that's I mean, big. It just speaks even more to how important the transfer portal is going to be, and I do think like it's it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to that weekend now to just kind of see the kind of what the recruits have to say on Twitter after coming out of that weekend. I'm, I'm it's assuming it's going to be a really it's going to be a really fun weekend for those guys, and they're gonna, it's going to be especially when like these these high level recruits are going to so many different campuses and like having all these different visits. This is going to be a unique one because a lot of the other places they're probably going to go. They'll see the facilities. They'll talk to the coaches, maybe their position coaches. They will get that picture in the jersey or in the uniform like they always do. And then that's it. And they'll probably do that at most other schools. I mean, they'll be a little bit different, obviously, because they're different schools. But then you come to UCF and you have a weekend like this. Like, that's going to stand out in your mind as like, no, that's, that was like a, a something different. Like, they tried something different. And that's the big thing is like when these guys are done with their visits after the month of June – UCF might not come away as those were the flashiest facilities. Or might not come away as that yeah. that was the most stable stadium. Um, <laughs> but if the, the, I think this strategy, because other schools don't do this way, they're legitimately going to look back on it as, man, that weekend at UCF was so fun. Yeah. And even if that's all you got, at bare minimum, you made a relationship with one of these guys, great. That's all you need right now. That's really all you need right now. Yeah, it is. And and it's just, it is. I think it's going to be a, an important weekend and a, a fun weekend. It's going to be very interesting to see what comes out of that. But before we move on to the news, do you have any like last impressions or takeaways from the Charge On Tour? I thought it was a fun, a fun event, fun night. Yeah, I had a really good time, and just on a broader note, that was like, other than the spring game which I was at, which was pretty distant. This was my first time like sort of being around UCF fans since the whole COVID thing became a thing, and it's just, it's nice that we're getting more back to normal with stuff. Yeah, and that it just really. And I know we've got a couple months here, or three months here, but, like, I'm just... And we also... I, I, I'm sure you'll get the news. we got a bunch of kickoff times today yeah. for UCF games. We'll get it, to it. <laughs> it, it I, I, I am so excited for a normal college football season. That was my main takeaway. I'm so freaking excited. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait. And even some of the other coaches were mentioning, too, like, having more uh, more fans of this game. Like, I'm wondering if like, we can get a little more of an atmosphere for basketball games. And even, like, uh, Scott Calabrese talked about it for, I think it was the... Well, but I think both the AAC tournament semifinal and the final. Like, I went to the we went to the semifinal, and there were yeah. a lot of people there. Yeah, it was a, it was a good atmosphere, and especially like in a stadium like that where it's not like the you know seats are surrounding the stadium. It was still pretty loud, and it was it was a good atmosphere. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the fall and to to kind of things getting even more back to normal. Yeah, especially just getting back in the bounce house in September is going to be it's going to be unreal. Um, it, it's going to be it's going. I mean, I literally it's not a coincidence that UCF. Won 21 games in a row, lost their crowd at home, lost their yeah. crowd, 500 record at home. That's not a coincidence. It was their first. Was their first home game? Their first home. It was game their first home, yeah, the first which home game. Which I was at the game, and if you were at the game and you're listening to this, you'll I'm sure you'll agree. It, like the players looked hyped right when they left the tunnel, and there was just nothing for them to feed off of. Yeah. I, I, they played dead, was, and you you can't blame them because like I, and I was trying. 
I was trying, but it's like you got to think like every fan had to bring the energy of four or five fans. Yeah, it's to match what it would have been, and, and fan, it's a chain reaction. A fan energy feeds off fan energy, and when it was raining and all I've got is just like sort of people huddled up and posed, <laughs> it was just an awful atmosphere. Yeah. And for Tulsa, they're like, wow, this is like every other game we've ever played, <laughs> so no problem. It was, yeah, and so just to have that atmosphere back and to have everybody back together. Um, you know, safely in the stadium, it's gonna be it's gonna be a heck of a time. I'm looking forward to it. And like I said earlier, if there's one negative of the charge on tour on uh, t- on Thursday night, it was just that now we have to wait. You know, that was like the last. I mean, there's still some baseball going on. There's still some track stuff going on. But like, we got a couple months here coming up without any UCF sports, and it's just yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to September. Um, well, even August is when some other stuff starts, but September specifically. Um, but which, you know, speaking of that, we'll get on to the news and, and we'll talk football first. Um, before we get to some of these kickoff times, um, they added another transfer. They got a uh, cornerback, Marco Domio. hope I'm saying that right. Uh, he was a Juco guy, formerly at Auburn. He was a four-star originally, right? Um, I think that's what, that's what the case was going to Auburn. Um, and then, as we mentioned earlier with tailgating coming back, that was after um, they announced earlier this week that they will be at 100% capacity for the bounce house this fall. Um, and as of last Friday, Terry Mohajer had said that there were fewer than 300 lower-level season tickets available. As of Wednesday, UCF was 93% sold out, so hoping that continues and we'll get to the 100% sellout mark, or at least close to it, so that you know whatever single tickets remain will we'll get us to the full-capacity um, you know, landmark. But uh, they also announced the an, another home-and-home series with FAU, uh, scheduled for a 2022 matchup in Boca, and a 2025 matchup in Orlando. Really don't see a downside to this. I know a lot of people were... I'm realizing there's a chunk of the fan base that is legitimately under the impression that UCF should be scheduling four <laughs> Power 5 teams year. Guys, there is not a team in the nation that plays an all-conference Power 5 team schedule. Florida doesn't do it. Alabama doesn't do it. USF doesn't do it. No one does that. SEC schedule aside, if, if, you know, if UCF were... Like, if UCF fans were Florida fans and just looked at the, the non-conference schedule, they would be miserable. Yeah. They, they don't play anyone, and they play Florida State. That's the big one every year. But even Florida, when Florida State's bad, like they don't have... What's Florida's non-conference schedule this year? They have, I know they have USF. We're, t- we're taking a quick pause, guys. I know they have USF, and I know they have Florida State, so that's two of them. I mean, at least those are like maybe a little bit more interesting because of the in-state aspect, and obviously the Florida State one. Well, is Florida, has so much is history, Florida Atlantic but... not? All right, you want to know who the first team is that Florida's opening their season with? I feel with? like I know, but I don't remember. FAU. Oh, I didn't know that. So I just... I don't get what fans want. This is great. I mean, I and I, I guess that people just don't understand that there are multiple reasons to schedule a game. Not like I just don't get what world some of these fans are living in. They tweet at me. It actually pisses me <laughs> off because it's like there there are games you schedule for different purposes. You do not schedule every game as we need to play the four toughest teams we can find. Yeah. This is great for for South Florida recruiting for getting recruits to a game and seeing UCF and how that is. It's a great game to engage the South Florida fan base, which is a huge chunk of the fan base. It's a travel game for people in Orlando. It keeps the team fresh. They don't have to fly out of state for it. What's the downside? What I will say about the whole, it allows Orlando fans to travel. We just have to hope that, you know, for any Orlando fans that are going to Boca that year, in 2022, that they're a little bit more prepared. Because I know last time it was a miserable experience for people they like, missed the first quarter. They were just... Okay, I want to get into this tough. now, too, though. I, it was bad because they couldn't... I guess they just they hadn't had a sellout crowd like that before. Yeah, they just weren't ready fans. for that many people to be there. But a couple UCF fans were tweeting, like, yeah, 
have to go back to that garbage stadium. FSU has a FAU. beautiful FAU. Sorry, FAU. FSU has a nice stadium. They too. do too. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> FAU has a beautiful stadium. It's one of the nicest stadiums in the group of five. So, and some people are like, "Yeah, we'd rather go play at FIU," which FIU stadium is actually, <laughs> I think, like a legitimate dump. Like, I think they the actually safety concerns. They act, like I don't even know how it's still standing. So, <laughs> not I. Some UCF fans will really let me down if their Twitter takes after that series got scheduled. Again, what else is new? Um, kickoff times <laughs> announced for several games uh, this fall. Of course, the season opener, we've been expecting it for a long time. It will be on Thursday, September 2nd. Kickoff is set for 7 p.m. on ESPN. Then the following week, Bethune-Cookman, uh, they'll play at on September 11th at 6.30 on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, week 3, UCF will travel to Louisville for that Friday night game. That'll kick off at 7.30 on ESPN. And we also got uh, a few more. They got the Navy, the road trip at Navy on October 2nd. That game will kick off at 3.30 on CBS Sports Network, which... I'm sure you're all groaning at this point um, hearing that. Better than ESPN Plus. That is fair. Um, the Houston game on ESPN Plus last year was... I know that was an experience. I'm not you. even getting into that again. <laughs> okay. um, for the record, though, I think I am going to be going to the Louisville game this year. So I think a few podcasts ago I said I didn't see the appeal of going to that as a road He did game. say that. I said, oh, Louisville, Louisville will be a fun game to go to. And he was like, nah, I don't get that. And, uh, and now then, I will be there. Now so I'll be there. Say hey if you can see um, me at Louisville. And there's a couple more. Memphis on October 22nd uh, will be a 7 p.m. kick on ESPN2. And they have said that the South Florida game on Black Friday will be on ABC or ESPN, and it'll be at 3.30 or 7 p.m. So likely 3.30 when South Florida has a bad season. I don't know. I think they're really going to want to put 2-9 and nine South Florida in a prime They did, but they did do it in 2019, and I don't know why. I don't either. They must have just been a week day for games because it wasn't an interesting game by any no, means. No, it was. UCF was like thirty-four to seven, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was not. It was not anything uh, special, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I guess as the season goes on, how that game lines up. Uh, and last bit of football news: uh, both Tay Gowan and Aaron Robinson signed their rookie deals. Of course, Gowan with the Cardinals and Robinson with the Giants. Uh, women's basketball: Diamond Battles was named uh, National Academic Momentum Award recipient on the first team. Uh, and then softball, as we mentioned earlier, uh, had uh, their historic season come to an end. Uh, did a good job in the regional, really, to get to the regional final. They beat Auburn 5-4 to four on Friday. Uh, then they lost 3 to nothing against number 10 Florida State, the hosts, on Saturday. And came right back uh, later that day on Saturday to beat Kennesaw State 2 to nothing. And, of course, always a tall task to have to beat uh, the winner's bracket team twice in the same day, especially when it's a team like Florida State. And uh, they weren't able to. They lost 2 to nothing in the first game on Sunday. To end their season, but they finished the season 41-19-1 overall, and really just a heck of a season. And, and it is, it was sad on Sunday to, to kind of just think about some of the names that are departing, specifically uh, Aaliyah White, who had just a historic, you know, legendary career at UCF. Um, so for her to be, I mean, she she did, she finished off her career with a heck of a season. Oh yeah. Um, but for her to be gone, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for sure going forward. Uh, baseball, they had, uh, as we recorded last week, they had won the first game of the doubleheader against Houston. And as we were talking about, I think they were up one nothing in the second game of the doubleheader, and Christian was being very negative and said that they were going to lose. They actually won that game. I wonder if people have figured out which team we briefly <laughs> mentioned earlier that you and I have different opinions on their direction. They, yeah, um, so they end up sweeping the doubleheader on Thursday. Then they went 6-0 on Friday. I was actually at that game, a, a really fun game. And they won 2-1 to one on Saturday, finishing the season with a four-game sweep of Houston. They finished the regular season 28-28 and 28 overall and 18-14 and 14 in the AAC. And it's, it was just weird because it's been, it's been such a strange season for baseball, and we'll get into this in a couple weeks, like we said. But for them to finish 18-14 and 14 in the AAC 
when in some of their better seasons under Love Lady, when they were in the first four out of the NCAA tournament, they had a losing conference record. And I think either both of them, or I know at least one of them. So to have an 18 and 14 conference record in this season, um, really just a strange, a strange thing. Um, but they started the AAC tournament on uh, on Tuesday as the number five seed, be- beating number four seed Cincinnati 14 to 10 with a nine-run eighth inning, uh, getting into the winners bracket and not having to play on Wednesday. Then they came out, uh, number eight seed Memphis had up, upset number one seed ECU on Tuesday. So UCF matched up with number eight seed Memphis and beat them 17 to one on Thursday afternoon. So That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, decent. Um, Set the AAC record for home runs in a game. Yeah, it was seven home runs in a game. I think and they, they won it in seven innings, obviously, with the, the run rule. And um, I think it was Mark Daniels tweeted something like, how about that? You know, you, you have seven home run game and it ends in two and a half hours. Just a quick little, you know, got our work done for the day. And now uh, baseball will be off again. They get another day off on Friday, which is huge to, to get some of their arms rested uh, for Saturday. On Saturday, they'll play the winner of uh, number one seed ECU and number eight seed Memphis. So they play again. And UCF will have to lose twice on Saturday uh, against the winner of that game to not make the final on Sunday. Um, but anyway, after the uh, Houston series... Some uh, honors came out. A.J. Jones was named the AAC Pitcher of the Week. He came in in relief on Friday when I was at the game against Houston. Threw six innings, didn't give up a run, and struck out eight. Uh, and first-team All-AAC selection uh, unanimously was Jordan Rathbone. He played in all 56 games this season in the regular season, hit 14 home runs, 46 RBIs, 119 total bases. And I think he led the conference with 20 hit by – he got hit by pitch 20 times, that's, which seems like a, a very <laughs> large chunk of hit-by-pitches in a 56-game season. Um, but second-team all-conference uh, selections, Colton Gordon, despite having his uh, season ended with, a, with an injury, he was 5-2 and two in nine starts with a 277 ERA and 72 strikeouts. Josh Crouch also on the second team after hitting 302 with 11 home runs and 30 RBIs. And Jeffrey Pena rounded out UCF selections to the second team, hitting 284, 13 extra base hits, 34 runs scored, and 26 stolen bases. Um, so four guys on the all-conference teams. Uh, men's tennis, they had their... Um, they had Gabriel DeCamps, um, you know, their star of the season. He also, like, like uh, Diamond Battles, he na- was named the recipient of the National Academic Momentum Award. Uh, he was on the second team, I believe. Um, and then he was playing in the NCAA Singles Championships and had a, quite the run. You know, he advanced all the way to the Elite Eight before finally falling to Kentucky's Liam Draxel, the country's top player. So he had a great season, I know, um, both in singles and doubles. So for the NCAA Singles Championships, I, I believe he was the – he was the furthest. He went the furthest of any UCF player ever. Um, and as a team, UCF men's tennis finished the season number eleven in the final ITA rankings. Um, and in the NCAA singles championships for the women's tennis team, Valeria Zaleva and Rebecca Stolmar were both eliminated in the first round. And as a team, they finished number eleven in the final ITA rankings of the season. And the final uh, sport that's still going on, other than baseball, is outdoor track and field. They have the NCAA East prelims that opened on Thursday, um, a little earlier than we were recording, and we have some results, some results not in yet, um, but we have Renaya Jones, who qualified for two quarterfinals on Saturday, both in the 100-meter hurdles and 100-meter dash, um, and that's that's all we know as of now. Um, again, they'll, they'll have some more stuff, I think, maybe coming out, but at least she will be uh, representing UCF in the quarterfinals of the NCAA East prelims on Saturday. And, you know, outside of that, like I said, uh, the road ahead is very short this week. Um, baseball has the AAC tournament semifinal on Saturday against either number one seed ECU or number eight seed Memphis. And, you know, if they can win one of two games on Saturday, they'll play in Sunday's final 
against it will be one of these three it'll be either number two seed Tulane number three seed Wichita State or number six seed South Florida um, so we'll see what happens with baseball this weekend and you know if they can continue this impressive run that they've been on and, and win this conference tournament it would be quite the accomplishment and you know they would earn them a spot in the NCAA regionals um, that obviously no one was expecting with the regular season they had but um, normally this would be the time when I throw it over to Christian for his uniform of the week but uniform of the week has been suspended it's on hold it's on hold for the summer um, since there are two teams left playing yeah I don't think you can really it would just be not fair to choose between baseball and yeah, track really and field would. I thought I could just quiz you on random UCF football uniforms but I don't know if that'd be fun for anybody so I don't know that would especially me because yeah. I don't I feel like I just wouldn't do well. I don't know. I've, I've had times in the past where I've done really poorly, specifically with the 2020 season. But recently, right, let me, I feel let me like... throw you one. Let me throw you one. All right. All right. This what? is not going to go well. What? I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to think of a game. Um, I don't know. It's not even one that's prepared. Um, I'm trying to think. This is great radio. I know, right? I'm trying to think. <laughs> I don't like, know. Uh, uh, game. 2016 Tulane. Uh, it was a blackout. Good job. It I was a black. Because I remember it was supposed to be on like a Friday night, right? And then it was a hurricane. hurricane moved it. Yeah, hurricane what was the helmet? Bonus points for what was the helmet? They had they had nitro on the helmet. You, I am so proud of you. Uh, uh, this yes. is like this is the peak moment of our friendship. <laughs> it's kind of sad, but um, <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, uh, just had a great time at the the charge on tour, and this moment right here is is better than that to Christian apparently, but. Um, until next week, we want to just thank you guys for listening so much. We'll be back next week with a huge episode, episode 20. Christian, like a couple weeks ago, said we should play birthday music. I don't know that we're going to do that. Oh, we're playing birthday music. Are we going to play birthday music? I don't know we why. For we're going to play birthday we haven't music. Had music. So maybe we'll debut some music, some birthday music. But until then, you can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. And thank you guys again for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.